This is Canada Reads American Style, featuring two friends who love Canada Reads and Canadian literature. Welcome our host Rebecca from Michigan and Tara from Ontario. Hi everyone, it's Rebecca and I am so happy to announce that this is our first author interview of 2022. We have Barbara Black joining us from British Columbia, and she writes fiction, flash fiction, and poetry. A few months back, Caitlin Press had reached out to us and asked if we would like to read Barbara's 2021 collection of short stories titled Music from a Strange Planet. Tara and I really loved it, so we reached out and asked if she'd like to join us. She said yes, so welcome, Barbara. Oh, thank you very much. I'm really happy to be here. So, Barbara, to start our discussion, could you please tell us a little about your first collection of short stories? Sure. It's uh, The title is Music from a Strange Planet Stories. I'm just so happy to have my book published and for my publisher, Caitlin Press, to have launched it out into the world of readers. If you don't have the book in front of you, um, just I'll sort of describe the cover. If you look at the cover... There's a collage, which I designed, and you'll see a woman with flying hair in a fur coat with caribou antlers rushing out the door. And this references one of the stories in the book. So you know there's going to be something about animals, possibly, and something about transformation. And when you open the book, I will tumble um, a myriad of characters. There's over 70 of them because there's 24 sh- very short short stories and all these characters are struggling in some way to come to terms with who they are each story starts like with a little moment in a character's life that will lead them into i guess you could say like a different version of themselves um so some of the people you're going to meet in the book is uh there's an insomniac acrobat who roams in the night um a young couple being transformed into moths uh let's see a precocious little girl who can see into the future and um a punk singer and a and a scottish plumber and and a lot more and a lot of people ask me well where did all these characters come from um and i think some came from my past unknowingly and some came from my present what you know, what I was sort of subconsciously thinking about or going through at the time I was writing. But, you know, most of them came from that, you know, where the mysterious realm that I call the the ether, the, the fiction ether. So they kind of drop down right onto the page for me. And well, sometimes other ones, they circle around my head for months, kind of weaving the strands of their story. And then at some point, I write them into being. So it really, really starts with characters for me. And just a little bit more description. Let's see, there's a tinge of the surreal in this collection, and um, or maybe sometimes just a heightened sense of reality. But the most important thing for me is that I, the author, I really care deeply about all the characters. and and all their trials. And I'm really hoping that readers will too. I actually, that is one of the um, things, Barbara, that I noticed that really stuck in my head when I was reading your stories was that the characters were so diverse. 
Like mm-hmm. they ranged from like a little, well, not a little girl, like an adolescent, a pre-adolescent girl who's being bullied by classmates, a hermit taxidermist, <laughs> uh, there was, who I loved. I'm like, that is fascinating. And the the middle-aged woman who carries the urn of her um, ashes, the ashes that contains mm-hmm. the ashes of her infants, her twin girls, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't help but the whole time I'm reading these stories, wonder how you, these characters got on your page because I'm like, you're not a hermit taxidermist. I'm like, how do you, (laughs) but maybe you are. I have been kind of a hermit for a good part of my life because I'm very introspective. And I also had almost all freelance jobs for most of my life. So I was working by myself. I I live with a man who is called the co-hermit. He's a philosopher. (laughs) So there is hermitness in my, in my personality. Um, And I'm not a taxidermist, but I kind of fascinated with it. I don't know why. There's a little story to how, oh, I just remembered this. There's a story to how I came up with that character. Can I tell it? Of course. There's a literary magazine in Canada called Geist, and they put up this thing that was a can-lit, as in Canadian literature, can-lit story generator. And it was like memes of all these cliche Canadian things like beavers and ice skating and, you know, Leonard Cohen, right? And I tried it out once just to see, you know, what would come up. And I got, they're, they're all like little threads that they sort of stitched together. I got an unusually tall taxidermist with an antiquated profession falls in love with a wild animal. And that's kind of that story. And what happened was I thought that's hilarious when I got it. I thought that is so funny. And I was trying to write a funny story and I kept trying and trying. I finally went, this is no, this is just too stupid. This is not working. And I put it away and then it started writing itself in a very different way to, you know, that story is quite serious um, Mm -hmm. and touching. And that's what came out instead. (laughs) So that's how the taxidermist came into being. Oh my God. That's very cool. See, I, we just got a little insight into the writer brain. (laughs) I want to follow up though, with the big question that I have about the book, because I, that's one of the things that stood out for me is the number of characters the number of short stories, there are so many of them, and they're pretty short. Many of them are very short. It's so easy to sit down, read them, and and really get something, I mean, just amazing. I mean, because it really does cover a wide range of things. However, my question for you, because I noticed it almost immediately, and I don't know if it's because I kind of think insects are a little creepy or whatever, but I noticed right away, like I think in the first story about the insects, but then throughout there was just always references, even if it was just in the language, not necessarily a specific insect, but just the language. And I wondered what is, what's with the theme of insects that run through that whole collection? Because it's really fascinating. This was a theme that kind of rose to the surface when I started my first few stories. I didn't really intend it initially, but I did start to notice an insect theme was emerging. And so I started to develop that idea in in the subsequent stories. But it's no surprise that it came up because ever since I was young, I've always cared about the natural world. 
And I've always been fascinated by the, the unique little worlds of insects and plants and, and creatures. And I like to read and think about how they operate, like how they, how do they perceive things? How do they communicate? Um, and I include plants in that statement because you'd be surprised what they're doing under the soil. I do wonder what does the world look like through their eyes. And so you'll see in the book that I'm being a quasi philosopher myself. I'm interested in consciousness or limited consciousness, I guess you could say, like the man in Mastering Surface Tension, he's kind of in a liminal state consciousness. And I'm also interested in sensation, like sentience or feeling. So the two things, because technically insects don't have consciousness. And I'm just exploring the, I don't know, the hidden forces of nature that, that can affect us with, without our no knowing like the little micro worlds that exist right next to our little human world and maybe how these creatures might interact with us or we, how we might interact with them. Yeah. It really stood out so much that I was each story I was starting to, now some of them are very obvious, but some of them are more subtle. And I was, I was really looking for the insects in all the stories <laughs> and they, and they, but they kind of started to feel like, I mean, this sounds so silly, but it, it, it was like a friend that was kind of walking through these books with me or these stories with oh. me because, yeah, because they were always going to be present in some way. And I was kind of always looking for them. So I, for somebody who kind of is a little creeped out by insects, by the end, I was like, this is pretty cool. It's like you said, though, it's like seeing the world in some of the stories through their eyes. And so mm -hmm. I, anyway, I thought you did that. That was a, that was brilliant, even though you didn't start out necessarily planning to do that it became something that's a really great thread through the entire collection. So kudos. Oh, good. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. <laughs> now, in terms of talking about short stories, because I do want to say, as I had said before, to sometimes readers don't necessarily pick up short story collections, which is kind of an interesting to me. I don't know. I think we're so stuck on sometimes the novel or, you know, nonfiction mm -hmm. or something. Mm -hmm. But I wondered, is there a difference in the way a reader should approach a short story versus a novel? That's a good question. I'm, I'm going to say maybe you approach a novel, you have like a big mug of coffee or hot chocolate and a really comfy chair because you're going to be there for a while. Um, and the short story, I don't know. Um, maybe you have to have a magnifying glass because you're reading a very something very concentrated. But I think uh, with some exceptions, a reader who's reading a novel, there's a more present guide or a consistent guide when you're reading a novel, generally, narrator. And there's a lot more time for explication and character development. And you can sort of settle into the story as it un unfolds. You get more details up front about the character's past. And a short story is a little different. I think a reader should expect when they're going to read a short story, you're going to have to infer a lot more uh, than you would with a novel because there's less space. There's no time for a backstory. So only a few words, you know, there's only a few words in passing that will give you the backstory to a character. And if you miss it, you might, you know, you might have to go back and, and find, well, how did that work? And in a novel, the difference there too is there's a lot of settings normally, and a short story 
has very few, or like in mine, probably only one. So the setting is going to play a pretty important role in creating the story's mood. And a novel gives you that, you know, encompassing experience. And the story feels that it's kind of wrapped up in the end. But you don't get that all the time with a short story. So you can expect that the story may have a sort of opening at the end. And it might, you know, keep reverberating in your mind. A lot of people write to me and say, oh, this story is still, you know, I went and I went and I reread it to find oh, some of those details that are hidden in there. And it, and it might be up to you to predict what might happen, you know, when the story's over. So I think it depends on the novel, but I think the, uh, the, the short story demands a little bit more from a reader just because of uh, it's so concentrated and all the details are packed in there, sometimes in the subtext. I really love that because that's one of the things I, I love about short stories is sometimes it is I'm going to interpret it my way. Maybe I'm in a good mood that day or I'm not in a good mood that day and I'm going to pick whatever ending I need in that moment, right? But then that makes me wonder, have you ever had a reader with a different interpretation of a story than what you meant to convey? <laughs> I haven't had that so much for the short stories. Usually when people ask me, oh, is this is this what happened or did so-and-so the character do that? And I say, yeah. And they're not sure, probably because they got all the clues from something in the subtext. It's not like overtly stated. But I did have an experience with a poem uh, where a reader or actually a listener in this case had a really different interpretation of what I meant to say. And it was very intense. I was in a composer writer workshop where the writer's text was being was being transformed into a musical score for singer and piano. And my poem was about um, watching my dad succumb to dementia. And it referenced moths. <laughs> Surprise! Mm -hmm. It referenced moths like as a symbol of a twilight, a shadow world or a liminal world that basically leads to darkness. Well, this is what my dad was experiencing, um, but also as his daughter, it was like my emotional state as I watched him go through it. So there was a line in the poem, and it, this is the line. Every girl wants to be a butterfly, but never a moth. And, you know, this was the, da the daughter's lament that her fate was to be a moth and the one who operates in darkness. And... What happened was a somewhat prickly person uh, with an agenda in the workshop heard this line as a political statement and a universal statement about all women or all girls. And it clearly was not, but she took umbrage with it. And she insisted that, that I was making a statement about all women and it one that didn't apply to her. And there was a very heated discussion most people were disagreeing with her point of view, but I was finally able to speak <laughs> and defend <laughs> myself. And I said, you know, my poem did not at all exist in a political context and that a poem has its own integrity. And, and the speaker in the poem, it's not necessarily me, right? It's by nature of being in a poem. It's not a memoir. So 
I made my points and I guess I should point out, okay, the line, if you read it correctly, it's not really an assertion. It's not really literal. It's more, it's in a poem, right? So it's a metaphorical statement. Every girl wants to be a butterfly, but never a moth is basically to me, I meant every girl wants to be happy living in the light, not unhappy and in the dark. And then right after this line, there are the, the words are sadness is a still dark pool. So it's clearly was not a polemic on, you know, female, female identity. I was a personal kind of lyrical poem. But in the end, the, the group, except for that one dissenting person, <laughs> it, we all, they all agreed that, that as artists, we're not obliged to please everyone. And, you know, as an artist, uh, we have the right to speak our truth. And we, that's how we resolved it in the end, um, except for that one person was still unhappy. <laughs> yeah. It was a very intense thing. Thank you for sharing that story because, you know, you sort of forget that, you know, I never really, I never really stop and think about either whether it's um, reviews that aren't maybe so positive. Like I never thought about somebody sort of kind of face to face, you know, challenging your work because it's like you said, I mean, you're an artist, your work is, and especially in poetry. I mean, that that's, it's like you said, it's not a memoir. So Thank you for sharing that. That's right. Thank you for sharing that story. That's a that's interesting. Gosh, mm-hmm. it was a challenging moment. That's for sure. So, Barbara, Rebecca, and I both read an interview with you by I'm going to get the blog name. It was Mandy Eve Barnett. Uh huh. Uh huh. In which you mentioned your compact journals and that you have about forty of these compact journals. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about them? <laughs> a little, yeah, a little. Or, or a lot, or a lot. <laughs> <laughs> no, because they're very little. Um, okay, they're, they're miniature, um, unlined moleskin journals. They're not made of actual moleskin. No moles were killed for their production. <laughs> um, that's the brand name. And they're about three and a half, by five and a half, five and a half inches. And I love that they come in these juicy colors like magenta and mustard and fire engine red but how I discovered them was I was at a writer's workshop in Lisbon and the organizers gave us these goodie bags on the the first or second day and it had all sorts of writing related stuff including this very small journal and when I looked at it I thought oh I'll never be using that because at that time I wrote in eight by 12 coil bound school size journals <laughs> with the, you know, the little neat blue lines so that, you, you know, you didn't go off the page or whatever to write on. So off I went with this goodie bag to a local Lisbon cafe and to sip some port. And while I was sitting there, I had an idea, like a writing idea, but I had forgotten my mega journal. So I pulled out that small one and I wrote down my first flash fiction and I actually loved it. I I loved the flash fiction and I loved the journal. And just, I should tell you that 
all the drafts of my short stories that appear in Music from a Strange Planet were written in those teeny tiny little books. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And they're all so great because I can write, I write my flash fiction in there too. And, you know, a story can fit on just two pages because uh, flash fiction is so short. I just love that format now. Barbara, I've never heard the term flash fiction before. Well, flash fiction is sometimes it's also called microfiction, but I will just stick with flash fiction for now. It's very concentrated, sometimes a bit surreal uh, stories, usually under a thousand words. Mine are usually under 500 words or only 200 words. And they're very short stories, even shorter than short stories that use distinct language. Some, this is the way I define it, because this is the way I write them. And there are many that are done this way, but not all of them. So they have like a distinct tone and often is distinct syntax. And sometimes even like qualities of a poem, like there could be a bit of rhyme in there or alliteration or a certain rhythm. And all of that feeds into the tone of the story or the, the setting of the story or what's happening in it. So it's kind of somewhat poetic at times. And I just love it. It's, I just love distilling a story in a really small space. Wow. Well, then I want to ask, because we're kind of winding down now, but I want to ask, Barbara, if you're mm -hmm. working on anything else you can tell us about, uh, because as I said, Tara and I really loved this, you know, this collection of short stories. So what else might you hopefully be working on? As a matter of fact, I am working on a manuscript Yay. of flash fiction. Oh, <laughs> um, nice. Yeah, I have, I have a contract. I'm whispering that. Um, <laughs> and it's, um, it's about two thirds done. And I'm working on editing the two thirds and writing some new material. It should be coming out if all if the muses are kind to me. Um, it'll be coming out in 2023. And the title for now may change as um, "Little Fortified Stories." I like that. There's a reason for that, which I can tell you too. But well, or I can leave it as a mystery. I don't know. Do we want it to be a mystery terror or do we want to know? <laughs> or we could leave it as a mystery, but have it as our, one of our follow-up questions in the next interview when the book comes out. Oh, oh, that right. would be wonderful. That, yeah. That would be great. Well, Barbara, we just want to thank you so much. I'm so happy that Caitlin Press reached out to us and put you on our radar we both really love the book and we want to encourage others to pick it up and read it as well. And uh, we definitely will be following you in the future. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you, Tara. Thank you, Barbara. That was very enjoyable. <laughs>